1: Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. In John 20, verse 21, John 20, verse 21, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, so that's Jesus Christ, he breathed on the disciples and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. So as John twenty twenty two that verse, Jesus Christ breathed on the disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. So in Genesis 2, 7, in Genesis 2, 7, when Christ breathed into the nostrils of man, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, as he's called, but he's also, Romans 8, 2, Romans 8, 2, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus Christ breathes his breath into man in Genesis 2, 7, he's breathing into man the Holy Spirit of life, and man becomes a living soul. So now, when we read in Lamentations 4, Lamentations four twenty the breath of our nostrils, here we are in the Garden of Gethsemane And now the breath of our nostrils, who is the Messiah of the Lord, is taken in their pits. Lamentations 420, Lamentations 420. The breath of our nostrils, the Messiah of the Lord, was taken in their pits. So this is what's happened. This is a prophecy that's being fulfilled right now in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's being seized. And as we see him being seized, he's the breath of our nostrils the spiritual breath of our nostrils, he is the anointed, he's being seized. Now verse 47 gives us the persons who were in this group that came to arrest Christ. First there's Judas Iscariot, he's described in verse 47 as lo Judas one of the 12 came, Judas one of the 12 came. And with that statement, one of the 12 came, you just feel the sharpness of the betrayal of the betrayal. It's shocking, how shocking, can you imagine the other 11 disciples, how shocking it must have been for them to see Judas leading this group of the enemies of Christ. I mean, it was only an hour or two earlier that the other 11, they were eating with Judas, they were passing plates of food, they were passing wine between themselves, they were talking, they were laughing with Judas, and now to see him That's the last time you saw him, just just an hour or two before. Now to see him coming to this large group to arrest Christ, it just must have made their heart drop to the floor for the rest of the disciples. And the word that the Bible uses for Judas as a title for him is the word guide. Judas is a guide in Acts 116, Acts 116. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost spake by mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. He's the guide. The others are just following him. So the group who come to arrest Jesus, they didn't know where he was. They weren't familiar with his secret places that he went to at night where he liked to retreat for prayer. But Judas knew Judas knew, and that's why Judas is described as the guide to them that took Jesus in Acts one sixteen. 16. So, because without the help of Judas, they didn't know where they could find Jesus. So next, in verse 47, we have a description of the group. They're described in verse 47 as just a great multitude. It's a large number of people. Not a few, but a great number that were with Judas, and they come to arrest Christ. And then, Christ has already described them in verse 45, in verse 45, when he said, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. They're described as sinners. So, Judas, the chief sinner here, the guide sinner, is leading a group of sinners, and he's being taken in custody into the hands of sinners, and then, We have in verse 47, a description of their weapons, of how they're armed. It says in verse 47, a great multitude with swords and staves. A stave is a club, it's a club. And so now here they are, they've got razor sharp swords. They're ready to cut in two anyone who stands in their way. They got their clubs. They're ready to swing and crack skulls for anyone who tries to stop them. And we see them armed like this, with sharp swords and heavy clubs, which Christ will later call out, he'll call that out. But remember, we remember who they've come to arrest, who they've come to take into custody. He, he is the transformed one. He's the one who transformed himself into a man from Philippians 2.5, Philippians 2.5. This is the greatest transformation ever happened. When it says, Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, there's the transformation, made himself of no reputation, took upon them the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Greatest transformation ever took place in the universe. The almighty God transforms himself into a man, not just any man, but a servant man. A servant man obeying orders. Not just any servant obeying orders, but a servant obeying the order to die a death. Not just any death to die, but to die the death of the cross. Greatest transformation when Jesus Christ, God became a man to die the death of the cross. This is Jesus Christ who they've come to arrest whose one look had the power to reduce them to a pile of ashes, like Elijah did twice to groups, to captain and his group of 50 soldiers in 2 Kings 1, 9, 2 Kings 1, 9, when it says, then the king sent unto him a captain of 50 with his 50, and he went up to him, and behold, he sat at the top of a hill, and he spake to him, up to him and says, thou men of God the king hath said, come down. Elijah answers and said to the captain of 50, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed his 50. Again also, he sent unto him another captain with his 50. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, come down quickly. Elijah answered and said, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven consume thee and thy fifty, and, the, and it did, okay. Christ is the one who's giving this power to Elijah to reduce these two groups of 50 soldiers to piles of ashes with just the words, if I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven, consume me. And for Elijah, it didn't matter what weapons they carried because fire was gonna come down from the sky, they were gonna become a pile of ashes and the wind is gonna blow the ashes away. Well, here's the same Christ that gave Elijah this power, and he's standing in front of this group that's got these sharp swords and heavy clubs. He not only could have just said a word that would have been ashes to be blown away, but the group didn't know that. They didn't know that. All they knew was that when they put their hands on the handles of those swords and on the handles of those clubs, they felt so strong. They felt so invincible. They felt so unconquerable. I mean, they'd waited three years for the moment. Now they've got him. You know, they can almost hear the call going out, say, we got him. Luke twenty-two fifty-three. 53, Luke twenty-two fifty-three. 53 had happened. He said, when I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched out forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So who was Jesus Christ? at that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is the subject, and he's being fulfilled here of Isaiah 53.7. Isaiah 53.7, when he says he, he doesn't open his mouth, he's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, he opens not his mouth. In the Garden of Gethsemane, at this moment, he is the Isaiah 53.7 lamb being brought to the slaughter, lamb brought to the slaughter. How ridiculous would it be for a butcher to bring a large group of men with swords and clubs to a pen to take a lamb out to be slaughtered? That's what was happening. And this is how ridiculous it is for this group of armed men to come to take Jesus, the lamb of God, to be sacrificed on the cross. The butcher doesn't need all those, that force to take a lamb, he just leads the lamb out. And so the group doesn't need all this force to take Jesus Christ from the Garden of Gethsemane to be slaughtered. And for the reality of the situation here, the men look so ridiculous with these swords and these weapons, so unneeded. And so now in verse 47, we have the warrant for Jesus' arrest. The warrant for his arrest in verse 47 is from the chief priests and elders of the people. This group not only feels invincible because of the size of the group, because of the weapons that they're carrying, but they feel so empowered because of who has stamped this warrant for his arrest. It's the chief priests, not just one priest, chief priest. it's all the chief priests. It's not just one elder, it's all the elders of the people. They have got authority from the great Jewish Supreme Court in Jerusalem, which is called the Sanhedrin. They have that authority. And this group that comes to arrest Christ has no warrant for his arrest from the Roman rulers. Pilate and Herod have issued no warrant for his arrest. As a matter of fact, when Christ was brought to Pilate, Pilate was surprised to see him, and he asked the Jewish authorities, what has he done? What has he done to warrant him being arrested and brought to me? And then he was surprised also, when he actually got in front of Christ, when Christ was brought to Pilate, and Pilate wants to know, what'd you do? What'd you do wrong? In John 18, 35, John eighteen thirty-five, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? I mean, it must have pierced the heart of Christ. Can you imagine? this Gentile ruler, Pilate, in essence saying to him, I'm not a Jew, but your own Jewish nation and the Jewish chief priests and the elders have delivered you unto me. What in the world did you do to make them do this to you? And what answer could Christ have given to Pilate? They're lost, I came to save them, so they hated me without a cause. I mean, just think. Pilot. Now think of the Gentile pilot, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense because most of you are Gentiles. I understand that. <laughs> but the Gentile pilot, and then think of the Gentile Midianite merchant men heading to Egypt as they watch Joseph sold by the brothers. Joseph's brothers, Genesis thirty-seven twenty-eight. Genesis thirty-seven twenty-eight. Then they're passed by Midianites merchant men and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Those Midianite merchant men, like Pilate, who bought Joseph as they were traveling down to Egypt, they must have asked Joseph the same question that Pilate asked Jesus as they're traveling down there. And they say to Joseph, hey, we're not Jews but your own Jewish brothers have delivered you to us. what you do to them? What did you do to them to cause them to do that? And what answer could Joseph have given to the Midianite men? My father, Jacob, sent me down to help them, to bring them a good word from our father, and so they hated me without a cause. That's all I could have said. Yeah. But this group who came to arrest Christ in the Garden of, of, of Gethsemane, they had an authority. To arrest Christ that came from the rulers of the Jewish Supreme Court there, the Sanhedrin. Now, we get in verse, in the next verse, verse 48, we get behind the scenes information. We see how Judas has worked carefully with this group of the Sanhedrin, and Judas has carefully planned this all out and gone over with them his plan about how they're sure to get Christ. So he's been, I mean, Judas has been with Christ for three years. He's been with him for three years. He knows how hard it has been for these same Jewish authorities to get Christ in the past. Judas knew about the times of John 8, 59. John 8, 59. When then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. Disappeared. John 5, 13, John 5, 13. And he that was healed wist not who he was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away. A multitude being in that place <sighs> disappeared. John 10, 39, Gen 39. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went <clears throat> again, gone. In Luke 4, 28, 4:28. 4, 28. All they in the synagogue, when they heard these things were filled with wrath, rose up, thrust him out of the city, led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. He's gone again. So since Judas was there all the time of these past, we can just see Judas talking to this group in the Sanhedrin and they're saying, look, I've been with him three years. I'm telling you, this guy's an escape artist. You need to be sure that you've got a positive identification of who Jesus is and you need to be ready to grab him after I give you that positive ID on him. And so he says, I'm gonna give you a sign and listen up. And the sign is verse 48. Now he that had betrayed him gave them a sign saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. So Judas has told them, look, Jesus is gonna be surrounded by people. That's the way he is. He's always surrounded by people. There will be the 11 that are closest to him. Those are the disciples. I don't want you to make a mistake and grab one of them. That'd be a disaster if you got the wrong person. And he's gonna be surrounded by many other followers and they're all gonna have beards and they're all gonna have robes and you know, it'd be very easy for you to get it wrong and get the wrong guy. And look, it's gonna be a disaster if you yell out, we got him, and I come and see you got the wrong person, you dummies. So listen to me, because I'm gonna give you a sign, and it's gonna be a positive identification for you to get the right person. And I'm not gonna point to him like he's that one over there because there's gonna be so many around him that it's gonna be very easily, you're gonna get the wrong person. I will not point. I'll go right up to him. I'll go right up to the right person, and I'll kiss his cheek. I'll kiss him. And you watch for who I kiss because the person that I kiss is gonna be Jesus. And that's the person you need to jump on. Watch for the kiss. That's what he's telling them, see. So Judas, he's finished giving him this instructions to the group, how they're gonna arrest Jesus, and his final description after the kiss is, in verse 48, verse 48, his final instruction is, that same is he, hold him fast. So he's saying, don't mess this up. When I give you the sign of the kiss, jump on him and hold on to him tight, see? So Judas has told the group, look, Jesus doesn't let anyone kiss him, all right? Jesus doesn't hold out his cheek and say, anybody who wants, just come and give me a kiss. He doesn't do that. But I'm one of the 12. And to us, he allows us to come, we put our head on his chest, He allows us to come and give him and kiss him. This is going to be the one and only chance for me to ever give him a kiss. This is it. If you don't grab him and hold him after I kiss him, I will not have another chance to kiss him after that. So this is your one and only chance to get Jesus identified, you to grab and hold him. Don't mess it up. We can just hear him saying all that because Judas is giving these kinds of instructions to the group. So the trap is set and the trap with the lure of the kiss. In verse 48 are these behind the scenes instructions for setting the trap that Judas gave about to his collaborators for the kiss. Now in verse 49, the trap springs. And the trap springs with these words in verse 49, forthwith he came to Jesus. So a few words, but they're shocking. He came to Jesus. This is the picture of Judas coming to Jesus. Judas has been with Jesus at the Passover dinner just a few hours before. But now, with these words in verse 49, he came to Jesus, Judas is coming to Jesus, and we see from these words, Judas coming up close to Jesus. He's making his approach. And he did, and as he does that, how do they both feel? What's going through their minds? What's happening in this moment? He came to Jesus. What is he thinking, Judas? What is Jesus thinking as they approach? This was the time when their two faces, the face of Jesus and the face of Judas, got so close, more close, as Judas comes to the cheek of Jesus and their faces touch each other. Por favor. And what was that moment like for Jesus? He knew what Judas was doing. It's crystal clear to him, yet he surrendered his cheek to Judas. Isn't it remarkable that Jesus knew that Judas the betrayer was leading a band whose goal was to see Jesus murdered, and Jesus still surrenders his cheek to Judas to be kissed? Isn't it remarkable that Judas had set a, a fatal trap for him, and Jesus still surrenders his cheek to Judas to say, for Judas to kiss his cheek? Isn't it remarkable that since Jesus could see the deadly trap that was set for him, when Judas came, Jesus didn't just push Judas away and say, get away from me, you murderer. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that all remarkable? But Jesus did surrender to Judas his cheek for Judas to kiss. And at that moment, in verse 49 of he came to Jesus, all the world stood still. All the world stood still at that moment. At that moment, there were no other disciples there. At that moment, there was no crowd there. There was no one there, because at that moment, in verse 49 of he came to Jesus, there were only two persons there. At that moment, there was only Judas, Jesus and Judas together. That was the moment of verse 49 that he came to Jesus, that determined the destiny of Judas, which was a destiny as Christ had already said in verse 24, verse 24, the son of man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Verse 49, he came close to Jesus was the time When Judas and Jesus were as so close as touching face to face, and of the many thoughts running through Jesus' mind was this one thought from verse 24, verse 24. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. But then there was also Judas on the other side. What's going through his mind? Judas was there in verse 49, at that moment of he came to Jesus. And as Judas' face got close to Jesus, Surely, you would think that would be the moment when Judas would come to himself and it would say now what he's gonna say later in chapter 27, four. chapter 27, four, when he says, "'I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood.'" Surely, it's gonna be a time when Judas gets face-to-face face close to Christ that Judas is gonna say to himself, "'What am I doing? I'm sinning, I'm betraying innocent blood.'" And I'm gonna stop, I'll kiss another person and let them arrest the wrong person and then Jesus can escape, I repent. But the amazing thing is, Judas doesn't do that. And isn't that what sin does to us? Just like the old song says, the old song song, the cathedrals used to sing this song. Sin will take you farther than you wanna go, slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
0: What are you doing Sunday nights?